Okay, good morning everyone, Boker Tov. I want to thank our sponsor for the Parsha series for the year, our dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David ben Menachem Manish. Our Torah learning should be Lila Nishmas. I also want to remind you that while the Katzes have sponsored the Parsha series for the year, there still is an opportunity to sponsor each year individually. So if you'd like to, in honor and memory of someone, please speak to the Shul office and we would uh, be grateful for your generosity. I also want to add that this morning our learning should be in the schus of our brothers and sisters in Israel. We know we woke up this morning to learn of a barrage of rockets that continue over 150. A young child is seriously injured who um, suffered a fall while running for safety. Um, my family in Modi'in sent me a video of, a, of an Iron Dome intercepting a rocket towards that city. And my children who live in Yerushalayim talked about warplanes that are circling overhead. And there's a tremendous anxiety going on right now about will this escalate, will this quiet down, what will be. And certainly our hearts, our tefillos, our prayers, and our learning should be in the merit of our amazing brothers and sisters in Israel. Hashem should protect them and give them a true and a lasting peace, safety, and security. They're very much on our hearts and minds. This week we have the privilege of studying Pasha's Vayera together. we got to love Sefer Bracious and the unfolding of the first family of the Jewish people which includes all of its classic family dysfunction function I shared with you many times before. The definition of a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> and that's true for the history of the uh, Jewish dysfunctional families as well. So I want to focus primarily today, we're going to get to, and that's why you have handouts, which we don't usually do during the Parshish year, but I want to focus particularly on the Mitzvah Achnasus Orchim, the obligation, the responsibility of hospitality, and not any ordinary hospitality, but what we'll call holy hospitality. Hospitality with an agenda. And we'll go through the source sheets because so much of what we know and what we believe and what we are responsible for in our attitude towards Hachnasus Orchem and hospitality comes out of this parsha and the role model that Avram and Sarah are. But first I'd be remiss if we didn't do somewhat of an overview of the parsha and share with you at least uh, some other ideas uh, throughout the parsha. Then we'll come back to look at the question of of Hachnasas uh, more in particular. So we begin with an insight of Rabbi Salavitchik. We are on page 78 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, the beginning of Parsha's Vayera. Parsha's Vayera literally picks up where Lech Lecha ends off. And Avram Avinu has just uh, endured an adult surgery without anesthesia. He's undergone circumcision. It's the Thursday after the procedure where the pain is the greatest. And yet, for Avram, the thought of insulating himself within the tent is more painful than the idea of sitting outside welcoming and hosting others. Again, you see the primacy, you see the significance. For Avram, it's intuitive, it's instinctive. It's more painful for him not to host than it is to host. There's two types of people. If you ask someone, could you have someone, and you'd think that you asked them for their kidney, for their liver, you'd ask them to sacrifice, amputate an arm, or give a limb, if they give up a bed, and you have other people who say, what kind of Shabbos? I didn't have anyone this Shabbos. It was a terrible Shabbos. We didn't have anybody. Where was everyone? Maybe it's reflective of my own children and what it's like in my house, but when they come to the Shabbos table and there are no guests, they say, where, where is everybody? What? We have to talk to each other. It's going to be alone. <laughs> terrible. So the, the idea is to cultivate an attitude and an energy within a home that like Avram Avinu, we're in more pain not showing hospitality than we would be in hosting people even while recovering from surgery. I'm not suggesting that you try that part at home. That certainly is a very high threshold of Avram. But Rabbi Salavitchik points out something fascinating. Hashem appears to Avram in Elonei Mamre. Where is Avram sitting? He's sitting Pesach HaOel Kachom Hayom. By the way, the vision of the Rebbe, the Imre Chaim, the Imre Chaim says, what does it mean he's sitting outside the tent? He has a lot here, but just briefly, because we have to mention the Imre Chaim. He says, Yoshev Pesach HaOel means, Yoshev Alamad Bepischei Batei Medrash Bechamimus Udvekus. What's an Oel? Oel Shal Torah. When we talk about a tent, it's an illusion it's a reference to a base medrash, the Oel, the tent of Torah. We know with Yaakov, he sits in the Torah. He's an individual who sits in the tent with diligence. It means that immersed in Torah learning. Torah learning is so central to what it means to be a Jew 
Any day without Torah learning, it's like fasting, without nourishment for the soul. It's what we live for. All of our free time should be dedicated and devoted to it. So all the way going back to Avram, where is he sitting? Pesach HaOel. He, of course, is immersed himself in the tent of Torah. Kechom Bechamimus. With warmth, with passion, with devotion, with energy, with enthusiasm. He doesn't have to schlep himself to the base medrash and is it almost over yet? And am I, can I leave yet? And is this almost done? And I don't really want to be here. Kechom, chamimus. He's got a warmth, a varmkite. He's excited. He's energized. Udvekas. And he doesn't say, but I'll add, kechom, with the energy and excitement of hayom. What do we see the reference of hayom? We're supposed to live the Torah every day as if we've received it anew. So when do you get excited to be in the base medrash? Is that it's just for your first time there. You're receiving the Torah anew. Every time you're immersed, engaged in the study of Torah, it should be like you're standing at Har Sinai. So who Yosheh Pesach HaOlekachom Hayom? That is the vision of the Rebbe. So the Rav says, Vayir Hashem, what do they talk about? Hashem appears to Avram, what do they talk about? What's the conversation? What's the topic? What's he communicating? What's it all about? What does the Pasuk say? What are they talking about? Very good. It doesn't say. It doesn't tell us. In fact, we interrupt this story for another story. Avram lifts his eyes and he sees the three men and he interrupts his conversation with Hashem and we'll come back to that from which Chazal deduce the significance and the greatness of Hachnas Hashem. But coming back to the Rav, it doesn't say Vayomer, Vayomar. And he said, he appeared to Avram and he said, and he communicated. It doesn't say that. <coughs> what attracts our attention to this Pasuk is the absence of the Vayomer. There's no message. What was the purpose of this revelation? What objective was Hashem seeking? What did He tell him? Another difference. None of the preceding Pesukim describing Hashem's appearance to Avram used the pronoun a love. Avram is always referred to until now by name. Hashem appeared to Avram. Now we have Hashem appeared to him. So two questions. Where's the Vayomer? What was he communicating? What was he transmitting? Why was he revealing himself to Avram? And what happened to the formality of Avram using his name? Why is he simply now a love? Rashi says, Vayroi love. Hashem paid Avram a sick call. He was Mevakar Cholam. Rav Chama ben Chanina says, It was the third day. We know the Gemara Bab Metziah. Avram was in need. Hashem came to visit him. And that's the point, says the Rav. There's no Vayomer because there is no message. There's no command, there's no law, there's no promise. There's simply friendship, kinship, camaraderie, companionship, and love. You know, when, when you only are willing to be with someone when you have something to say, then you're not really invested in the relationship with them. You're really using them as a means to accomplish what you need. Maybe all you need is somebody who will listen to you while you talk. Maybe you actually need some, it's a transactional relationship. Maybe there's something that you actually need them to do for you, a question you need answered, help you need offered, something you need them to do. But only when you're willing to simply be with someone are you communicating most loudly in silence that I'm here just to be with you because I care about you. I want to be connected with you. We don't need to talk. We don't need to communicate. We don't need to transmit anything because there's no agenda other than simply being together with you. And so that, says Zerav, is what is going on in this Pasuk. You see, until now in Parshas Lach Lecha, there's a, a relationship which is developing. Hashem recruits Avraham. He sees in the backdrop, we spoke about this last week, of a world that's corrupt, that's failing to fulfill its purpose in creation, and Avram distinguishes himself. And it's not that Hashem chose Avram. Avram chose Hashem. We're not the chosen people, we are the choosing people. And they're still developing that relationship and there's a formality. Hashem calls him Avraham. But in this week's parsha, that formal relationship has now transformed itself into a friendship. That's the word. That's what we refer to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. What do we sing on Friday night before we begin Kabbalah Shabbos? We sing at Shalashidus, some of the holiest times of the week of, of Shabbos. What's the song we sing? You did? You did Nefesh. What's it you did? The friend. The friend of my what? Of my nefesh. I always love that song, You Did Nefesh. You know why? Because all week long we're focused on Yedidei Haguf. <laughs> Who are the friends of my body? Friends of my body are indulgences, pleasures, material um, purchases, work, money, things. 
And then I come to Shabbos and I say, I'm not focused on the Yedidei Haguf, the friends of my body, but I sing, I begin Kabbalah Shabbos by saying, Yedid Nefesh. Ribbona Shalom, we refer to God as the best friend of my soul. My soul's best friend. Where do we learn it from? HaKadosh Baruch is Melech Ma'achayim Lachem. He's the King of Kings. He's also Avinu Avarachem and he's our father. There's also a romantic relationship. Shir Hashim is Kodesh HaKadoshim. Hashem is our spouse. But he's also, Mizmo David Hashem Ro'i Lo Achsar. The word Ro'i is also Re'a. When he's Re'a, when he's my friend, Lo Achsar. Then I'm not lacking anything. So Avram Avinu goes here from the formal relationship of discovering Hashem, promoting Hashem, being recruited by Hashem, a developing relationship, into now what we have here, Vayira Elav Hashem, is a friendship. You did nefesh. Now there's a closeness. Hashem Rawi Re'a. So there's no Vayomer. He doesn't need to say anything. We see this, again, I don't want to spend so much time, I really want to get to Achnas Zorchem, but you see this when it comes to the mitzvah of Nicham Avelim, from the story of Eov and his friends, and this is the halacha in Shulchan Aruch, that when you pay a shiva call, you don't initiate or speak to the person, you wait for them to initiate, and you follow what they want to speak about, and you're even willing to endure the discomfort of sitting in silence. We all know the expression, awkward silence. That's when you know that your marriage has made it, when you don't need to fill the vacuum of silence with words, you ever in a restaurant and sometimes you look over at a, a couple, a seasoned couple who's been married for many years or decades and they're happy to just simply be sitting and slurping their soup together. <laughs> That's it. The young couple is forcing the conversation because it feels awkward to sit in silence. Or because it's so awkward they just start texting or looking at their phone. But the older couple who don't yet know that you can use a phone for those things, they just sit there in silence, and they enjoy each other's company. They bask in the company of another. It's the sign, in some ways, it's the ultimate sign of the health of a relationship, that we can just be, that we don't have to be talking in order to have some security or confidence there's a relationship. So that's the message that's being communicated at the beginning of our Pasha. Kodesh Baruch Hu and Avram can just be. Just like Nicham Avelim, we endure the discomfort of silence because what we say is, I don't have anything to say. I don't need to say anything necessarily. I'm able to just sit silently. I want you to know you have my companionship. And that's what Hashem is offering Avram here. Vayirel of Hashem, He's offering companionship. And the Rav says, the use of a love also demonstrates this. As long as a relationship is a formal one, you need courtesy. Formality requires mentioning a name. But when you're with a friend, it's a love. It's casual. It's comfortable. It doesn't need the formality of a name. And that's why for the first time we see him being described as a love, not by name. And... The Pasuk should have said, the structure of the verb and subject in this verse is another indication. In the Torah, the verb and subject usually are not separated. If Vayira is the verb and Hashem is the subject, I never appreciated grammar in school, so if you're breaking out in hives, take a break and come back in a minute. The Pasuk should have said, Vayira Hashem a love, not Vayira a love Hashem. But by reversing the subject and object, the Torah is emphasizing Avram is close to Hashem, that God longed to see him. So until now, we're reading the story of Avraham Avdi, Avram the servant. Vayera begins a new tale of Avraham the friend of Hashem, of Avraham the Kodesh Baruch Hu is coming to just spend time. There's no conversation. There's no dialogue. There's no, no, nothing that needs to be forced to be said. He comes and... and uh, he's interrupted by the three angels. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment, and the angels come, offers, um, offers uh, some water. Why water? So here the Vishnitzer, the Imre Chaim says, Water always is impacted by gravity. Gravity always takes water. Water flows from the highest point to the lowest point. That's why Torah is always compared to water. So, what was he saying to these angels? Yukachna ma'at mayim. You should ex- yukachna, embrace, take ma'at. Live with humility. Live with histapkus. Live with minimal. V'zeu yukachna ma'at. K'nu lachem anava, urumurumaz betevas ma'at, ayideizeh mayim tagil Torah hakadosha. If you want to accept and receive, you want to truly be an ambassador of Torah, live with modesty and humility. Yukachna ma'at, if you live with ma'at, mayim, 
then you will have Torah in your Torah in your life. The angels ask, Where's your wife Sarah? And Avram says, Oh, she's in the tent. And Rashi quotes the famous Chazal. The, the angels know everything. Why are they asking? They, they don't need Avram to tell. They, they know everything. These are emissaries of Hashem. They have access to intelligence. They know exactly where Sarah is. So why do they have to say, Ayei Sarah Ishtecha? And Rashi quotes the famous Chazal. Why? Kedei Lechavava. In order to promote, increase, reawaken Avram's <coughs> love and affection for Sarah. That he reminds himself, Oh yeah, he made Baal. I figured, you know, I'm married to such a modest, amazing, remarkable, extraordinary woman. And they're initiating that question is what reminded him, and that's why they asked it. So Revolba points out something extraordinary in the Shiram and Chumash. Revolba says something amazing. How old is Avram here? 99. Avram's 99 years old. How old was Avram when he and Sarah got married? Today's day and age, he was ancient. He was so old. His parents must have been so worried. What will be? How old was Avram? 25 years old. Which means to say that Avram and Sarah are coming upon what anniversary? Their 75th. Halavai. We should all be Zoha to our 75th anniversary. Halavai. We should make it. And we should make it with each other. Halavai. We should make it. So Halavai. So he's coming up on their 75th anniversary. Says Revolba. Isn't it amazing that the Torah is emphasizing that even as you're approaching your 75th anniversary, you still need to remind yourself and be reminded about the amazing qualities of the other. You think, what is this, like a fragile newlywed relationship? They have such shalom bias issues. Remind him, tell him she's wonderful, she's modest and she's dedicated and she's gracious and she's hospitable. 75 years married, you still need to remind him about what a wonderful woman? Yeah. Says Ravoba, yes. That's marriage. You have to keep dating in marriage. You have to keep the Rambam. I never found this Rambam inside, but I heard it quoted. The Rambam points out that the word, how do you say woman in Hebrew, in Biblical Hebrew? Isha. How do you say wife in Biblical Hebrew? Isha. Why is there not a different word? Why do we have the same word? The Rambam apparently says, because a man has to have the attitude, she is a woman and I'm always in pursuit. I've never landed her. I'm not married. I can't rest on my laurels. I can't act differently. I can't take her for granted. I can't stop courting her. She's an Isha. She's the same woman that I was so invested in courting. What does she think of me? Did I say the right thing? Do I look right? Am I behaving right? Does she look up to me? Does she accept me? Does she love me? The same attitude of courting her has to exist 75 years married as existed when you picked her up for the very first date. So Revolba says, 75th anniversary, and we're still Kedele Chava Abayla. Now I'll just share with you an insight of the Rav. And I, I'm reading Rabbi Soloveitchik. Rabbi Soloveitchik, by the way, who broke ground, was a pioneer, gave the first Gemara Shir to women in Stern College, who in his time was considered to be cutting-edge progressive on women's opportunities. By today's perspective, Baisalavechik is some Taliban fundamentalist, misogynistic. So listen to what the Rav writes here. And these are his words. It comes from Family Redeemed. He says, These travelers were not ordinary people whose eyes see only the surface. They were the angels of Hashem. Their glimpse penetrated and apprehended the image of the true leader, teacher and prophetess to whom everything should be credited. Nonchalantly, they remarked, Where is Sarah, your wife? Without her, you could not play the part that Hashem assigned to you. Where is she? Why do people not know the truth? Why has she been trailing behind you? Why does she not march in front of you? After all, the covenant cannot and will not be realized without her. The angels come and they say, why do her pictures not appear in the magazine? Why is her name not used in the shul dinner invitation? Where is Sarah? Where is she? Where is she? And what did Avram answer? Tersely, he Baal in the tent. Indeed, she is enveloped in mystery. Sarah, the biblical woman, writes Rabbi Salavechik, is modest, humble, self-effacing. She enters the stage when she's called upon, acts her part with love and devotion in a dim corner of the stage, and then leaves softly by a side door without applause and without enthusiastic response of an audience which is hardly aware of her. She returns to her tent to anonymity and retreat. Only sensitive people know the truth. It's interesting that although Avram survived Sarah by 38 years, his historical role came to an end with Sarah's passing. Yitzchak leaves the stage together with Rivka. Yaakov relinquishes his role to Yosef with the untimely death of Rachel. Without Sarah, there would be no Avram, no Yitzchak, if not for Rivka, no Yaakov without Rachel. What Rabbi Salavechik is pointing out here is that 
Our avos would be nothing without our imahos. Their role, their influence, their impact in molding and shaping and being the progenitors of our people, we would be nothing without them. But we don't equate meaning and purpose and significance and consequence with your public role and persona, with applause, with an audience, and, with, and so on. So I, I don't mean to mock, I happen to think it's ridiculous women's pictures don't appear, and I've lobbied and advocated to whatever extent I can, but in our community they do appear. That's another community, and we don't want other communities evaluating, judging, writing articles, going on speaking tours, ridiculing us, so we shouldn't be doing it. Of them, each community is entitled to choose their standards. If it would start to seep into our community, then we'd need to stand up and object and so on. I haven't seen it and I see no evidence of it in our community. If there is that extremism in their communities, maybe it's for a reason, but certainly I think people are entitled to make choices as much as I don't see them as being part of our Masora or our history. But what's my point? My point is that we don't evaluate meaning and purpose and significance by the public role that we play. That's never been the case. And I wonder if by today's standards of those, for example, who do mock and ridicule and are now on speaking tours on these uh, issues, some of which are very important, but some of which I think might turn people off rather than draw them in, would they look to Sara Imenu? Would she be a failure because she remained Ba'ohel? Or would Sara remain Imenu? Would Sara pass the test of that segment of our community today? Would she be a failure giving in to the misogynistic men who say to her, get back in the tent? Or would she be a hero, satisfied with being a woman of mystery, who really behind the scenes is pushing all the buttons and orchestrating everything, without whom their husbands would be nothing, and after their demise, their husbands became nothing. Was that enough gratification? Is that enough satisfaction? Or can one only be happy the more public a role, the more fame, the more spotlight, the more of a name they have? I'll leave it to you as a question. How would the modern Orthodox, not modern Orthodox, how would the contemporary Orthodox woman or community of those who are concerned on these issues view a Sarah Imenu? How do they read this Pasuk? That Rashi lords, that Avram, it's Kedela Chava, would they see Sarah as a failure or Sarah as a role model? Is Sarah a hero? Is Sarah a villain? Do we need to liberate Sarah from the um, persecution of the men who are forcing her back in the tent? Or is it possible that Sarah chose to be in the tent because she chose a specific role and she understood her place and she was satisfied with seeing the impact of her influence without needing it to be recognized or applauded by all? Is it possible? I'll leave this to you as a series of questions. I have some thoughts on them, but not for now. Continuing in our Parsha. She's Ba'ohel. Okay. There's an amazing unklus, very quickly. Perikhaf, Pasuk, Yud Gimel. Perikhaf, Pasuk, Yud Gimel. It's on page 92 in the article Stone Chumash. Here we're in the context of Avram is in Grar, Sarah is abducted. We have this ruse where Avram tells her, say you're my sister. The Ramban says that that was a mistake and that he was accountable for that mistake. Ramban has no problem being critical. We, of course, have to be much more careful of it, but we do have a precedent of it. And here we have in Perak Chav Pasuk Yid Gimel the following. And it was when Hashem caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, let this be your kindness, which you should do for me. Whatever place we come to, say of me, he is my brother. This is Avram's third justification. Hashem commanded him to be a wanderer. He resorted to this plan <coughs> to go on the road. Rashi says a very interesting comment. Unklos translates it how he translates it, but says Rashi, I have an alternative translation to this Pasuk. How did Unklos translate it? Look up at Unklos. Every place I go, when I saw the Avodah in the world, but he brought me close to see the truth of Hashem. Unklos translates it as a journey from idolatry to discovering Hashem. And Rashi says, Unklos tirgeim mashatirgeim. And then he gives an alternative uh, interpretation of the Pasuk. What's his alternative? 
When he took me out of my natural habitat, I knew I would have to traverse and I'd have to pass through places of wickedness. What in the world does Rashi, we don't find Rashi ever say, Uncle is Tirgain, Masha Tirgain. Uncle has translated it as he translated it. We don't find Rashi saying that. Why is Rashi doing that? Either quote Unclos and endorse him, or don't quote Unclos. But why quote Unclos and say without even quoting Unclos? Eh, Unclos said what he said. And then you give this alternative. So if Mayor Shapiro, I got a call this week from Rabbi Chanach Teller, Chanach Teller Shlita in Yerushalayim, Irak Kodesh. So he knows, and he heard me recently reference Rabbi Meir Shapiro. Last week we said a great Rabbi Meir Shapiro. And Ko Yezarecha, look outside and look up at the stars. So he said, I got a great Rabbi Meir Shapiro for you. So he told me, you know what Rabbi Meir Shapiro says on this Pasuk? Unklos tirgeim ashe tirgeim, Unklos lived what he translated. That's what Rashi meant. Unklos tirgeim ashe tirgeim. He lived, because Unklos was a convert. He himself went on this journey of discovery from a world of idolatry and paganism to a world of faith, a world of service of Hashem. And that's what it means. Rashi wasn't disparaging or rejecting or disagreeing with Unklos. Rashi was admiring Unklos. That this Pasuk, Unklos lived, what he translated on this Pasuk. Mamish Gishmak, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation. Okay, we know at the end of the Parsha we have the Akedah. I'm really skipping a lot because I want to get back to Achnos's Orchim. At the end of the Parsha we have the Akedah. And the Akedah happens, Rav Chaim of Tzans points out, Lech Lecha Eretz HaMoriah, where does the Akedah happen? On Har HaMoriah. Where's Har HaMoriah? Har HaBayis, the Beis HaMikdash. So Rav Chaim of Tzans asked, we have two significant mountains in our tradition, Har Sinai and Har Abayas. Where does the Beis HaMikdash appear? On Har HaMoriah. Why? Says the Sanzer, because holiness is found where there's Mesiris Nefesh. Har Sinai, Hashem revealed Himself to us. Har HaMoriah, we were Moser Nefesh to Him. You know where you find holiness? where you find mysterious nefesh, when people are willing to sacrifice. It's a problem. It's a problem in our generation. Rav Moshe famously said that we have to stop saying Shveret Zayin Yid. We have to say it's Kishmak to be a Yid. And Rav Moshe and his generation couldn't have, of course, been more correct. He didn't need my endorsement. That if we sit around bemoaning how miserable Judaism is, no one will want it. So instead, we sing and dance, Kishmak to be a Yid. It's amazing to be a Yid. But you know what? There are moments that's nish so Kishmak. Fasting on fast days, paying tuition, paying the cost of kosher food, waking up to daven when you want to sleep. It's not so geschmack to be a yid all the time. So if you sing and dance and you teach the next generation always it's geschmack to be a yid, what happens when it's not so geschmack? You stop wanting to be a yid and maybe you drop it. We need to reintroduce into our curriculum a healthy balance between geschmack to be a yid and schwerzsein yid, that we have to be most nefesh to be a yid. Our mysterious nefesh in our generation pales in comparison. It's literally next to Gornish comparison to the mysterious nefesh of those who came before. What do we have to sacrifice? The latest version of the iPhone? What are we sacrificing exactly? We only have 400 kosher restaurants to choose instead of 401? What's the mysterious nefesh? I'm not minimizing. It's not easy. It's not easy. But our mysterious nefesh, we're so lucky and fortunate. We're not fleeing a pogrom. We're not being kicked out of a land. We're not trying to survive a gas chamber. The Messiah is not being forced to convert and having to make a decision. The mysterious nefesh of our generation. And we have to reintroduce this notion that you know where holiness is found? In mysterious nefesh. Because when we're raising a generation that we coddle and we spoil and we tell them everything is gishmak and I don't want you to have to endure any discomfort or pain. Let me do everything for you. Your laundry and pack your lunch and I'm talking college kids. Let me do everything for you. What happens? What happens when you have to get married? Getting married, it's kishmak to be married, but there's mesiris nefesh in marriage. You want fleshik, so lo aleinu, she wants milchiks for dinner. There's tremendous mesiris nefesh. Tremendous mesiris nefesh in being married. There's a lot of mesiris nefesh. So if we don't have within ourselves the capacity and the capability to be most where is holiness? In marriage, in life, in meaning. Mesiris Nefesh says that Sanzer is found where you find Mesiris Nefesh. And that's why when Akash Baruch Hu chose where was he going to place his base on Mikdash. And he had the options of either Harsina or Har HaMoriah, the place where we received the Torah, or the place where we were Moser Nefesh. He went to the place where we were Moser Nefesh. That's where holiness is found. 
Holiness is found where there's mysterious nefesh. And I'll tell you one more, Rameer Shapira, Lubliner Rav. He says, you know, Avram, the Medrash tells us that throughout the journey to the Akedah, Avram encountered the Satan, who came in many, many disguises, but each time tried to get Avram to abandon his willingness to fulfill this mission. And each time Avram dismissed the voice of the Satan and overcame it. And there's a beautiful Medrash that describes, it's, we'll share it another year, because each of those voices of the Satan are voices in our own head. They're voices of our own resistance that we confront, that makes us, tries to get us to fail our tests. But Avram endures, and he triumphs, and he overcomes those voices. So ask Ramir Shapiro when the angel comes to Avram and says, wait, stop, drop the knife, don't do it. Now I know that you're Elohim. How does he know that that's not the Satan again? How does he know that he shouldn't follow through? Do you ever think of this question? How did he know? Stop! Maybe he should have concluded that's the voice of the Satan again. Keep going, follow through, says Rameer Shapiro. You know how he knew? That's what the Pasuk says. He lifted his eyes and he saw an aisle. He saw that an animal was caught in the thicket. And when he saw the animal struggling, he knew that in a place of struggle is a place of truth. That's a voice of truth. Where there's mysterious nefesh, there's emes. And where there's mysterious nefesh, there's kedusha. Where there's struggle, there's truth. Where there's sacrifice and a willingness to give, there's holiness. And that's why Hashem specifically chose this spot, says the, says the Sanzer. Okay. Oy, gavat, is there so much more to say? Vani vanar nelchad ko. He leaves them behind. Okay, let me just tell you this one other thing, and then we'll go to Achnos Zorchem. He says, he leaves Yishmol and Eliezer behind. Vani vanar, Yitzchak and I will go where? What should it have said? Ad? What should it have said? Ad po. What's ad ko? We'll go ad ko. What is ad ko? So Cesar Besalavechik. Oh, so beautiful. What was going on here? Remember last week we talked about Hashem didn't give Avram the coordinates. He just said lech lecha. And why didn't he give him the coordinates? Why didn't he give him the destination to plug into Waze? Any of you remember from last year? Because he, a Jew needs to have an instinct, an intuition, a magnetic draw towards holiness. We have to be able to make Havdalah ben Kodesh Lachol. So Hashem, part of the test was Avram, go and feel it out and sense it out and follow your intuition and let's see if you're drawn towards holiness or drawn towards profanity. A Jew needs to refine ourselves to have a draw, to be drawn towards holiness. So that's what's going on here, Rabbi Salavitchik says, and he quotes the Medrash. Again, I want to get on talking about Zorchim, but that's what he's saying. He lifted his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. And the Medrash on this Pasuk says, he turned to Yitzchak and he said, what do you see? And Yitzchak said, I see a beautiful mountain and I see a cloud enveloping it. And he asked Eliezer and Yishmal, do you see anything? And they said, see what? All there is is a desert, it's a barren desert. And that's when he turned to him, he said, stay here with the donkey, shvulachem poem hachamor, am hadome lachamor. Those learning the daf and nida, we just had this in the daf a couple days ago. I won't repeat the context. But am hadome lachamor, shvulachem poem, wait here with the donkey. Were we insulting? Are we degrading? Are we calling the non-Jew a donkey? What he said is, you don't have that instinct, that tuition, that aspiration towards holiness. Even little Yitzchak was not so little. He says, what do you see? That's the test. What do you see? Do you see with optimism and hope? And positivity, do you see holiness? Or do you just see an empty, barren desert? And when they answer that, that's when he says, stay here. I'm only taking the one who has an instinct and an intuition who's drawn towards holiness. And you know where we're going? Ad, ko. Where's ko? Ko is the ko yezarecha of last week's Parsha. It's the kos of Archuaz b'nei Yisrael, of Parshas Naso, of Birchas Kohanim. That ko is what has carried us throughout the generations. That is the definition of a Jew, it's Nelcha Adko, that's our mission, and that is where we are going. Let's go to Hachnasas Orchim. Let's go to Hachnasas Orchim. Actually, let me go back in here. Take out your source sheets, please. In our remaining time, we're going to go through the sugya, which is so critically important. So we deduce, Chazal learned from the opening of our parsha that Hashem is visiting Avraham, that in fact we have this mitzvah of, and Avraham, sorry, Hashem, Avraham interrupts the visit, that's the mitzvah of Bikracholim, and then we have the mitzvah of Where do we learn any of these mitzvahs? These interpersonal relationship mitzvahs. 
Do we have psukim in the Torah that specifically delineate them? So the Rambam says no. In source number two on page three. We have a commandment to visit the sick, and to comfort the mourner, to bury the dead, to make a wedding, and to escort the guests, and so on and so forth. Where do we learn it all for? from? Says the Rambam, the first wide line. They're all incorporated and encapsulated within the mitzvah of you have to love your neighbor as yourself. So these interpersonal um, relationship mitzvahs are all bound by this responsibility of loving your neighbor as yourself. You would want to be visited. You would want to be comforted. You would want a place to stay. If that's what you would want, then that's what you should offer. And in fact, this is codified lahalacha. Source number four. Turn the page. The Shulchan Aruch and Simon Kuf Samach Gimel Sif Aleph. Shulchan Aruch says, not only must every community have a hospitality committee, but kofen b'nei ha'ir ze'ezeh afilu miyad kofen esamarubim lasos chomad lasum b'riach li'ir l'rsang beis ha'kinesas v'lukin ha'sefer Torah nevim v'ksuvim k'tesh yikra b'hem kom mishir tzimen ha'tzibor There are halachos of the definition of a community. And a community is entitled to coerce, to force the other members of the community to cough up what they need to to participate, to do their part in the community. Right? Not for now, but even our whole shul membership and tuition structure, if we followed the Shulchan Aruch, would be very different. Some countries have such a, a formula, which is more like a tax. Not everybody pays the same equal tuition or the same shul dues. It is a portion, a percentage of your income. Because whatever the shul dues are, call them $100. We'll just call them that because they're not that. You wish they were that, but call them $100. So why should the person who makes a million dollars a year and the person who makes $20,000 a year have to pay the same $100? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't represent the same percentage of their income. Halachically, the community that's responsible, that everyone who's participating and benefiting must, and in Talmudic times and even Shulchan Aruch times, we had the right to coerce people to cough it up. So what's one of the things that we can coerce the community? The Ramah says, Ramosh Yisrael, Kofim b'nei ha'ir ze'ezeh, what? We can force members of the community. We have Kenai Nahar almost 900 families. And do you know what a pathetically poor percentage are willing to host? When our Halega Linda calls, and, she, and by the way, Linda, who's much more than an employee, who's a part of the member of our family, but is, uh, is paid to do this, why is she the head of hospitality? Because it is the volunteer position that has the highest burnout. Because how much rejection could you get? How much... How little cooperation can you have before you say, you know what, I'm done. And Linda's amazing. You couldn't ask for a better, more perfect person to do it. But you know what a poor, pathetic participation percentage? That's a lot of peas in a row. We have of people who are willing to host. Says the Ramah, Kofin has been, you're allowed to force other people. You're blessed to have a home. You're blessed to have a dining room table. You have bed. You have the opportunity to host. There's people who need that hospitality. You have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. It's a core mitzvah. It's such a high-level, significant mitzvah. We say it every single morning based on the Gemara and Shabbos. In Birchas HaTorah, we say every morning. It's in the Siddur. It's in source number five. These are things whose fruit a person enjoys in this world, but the principle remains intact for the world to come. Meaning we get reward both in this world, but we also, it's so great and significant that the reward is preserved for the world to come. And what's on that list? Honoring our parents, going to the base medrash, and hachnasas orchim, bikrochol, hachnasas kal, and so on. And how do we conclude the Talmud Torah? Kineged kulam. Talmud Torah is equal and opposite it. Talmud Torah is equal and opposite it. I'll tell you a great vort from the Rebbe of Zusha on Talmud Torah kineged kulam. We, we traditionally translate Talmud Torah kineged kulam means those things are all nice and they're important. But you know what's the most important? So important that if you add them all up, it is as great study of Torah. Talmud Torah, we talked about it, it's central, it's primary, it's critical. It's the air we breathe that should take up the free time that we have. And we believe all of that. But the Rebbe Rebzusha said, read it differently. The Rebbe Rebzusha said, Talmud Torah keneged kula means Talmud Torah, your Torah learning, has to stand keneged kula. It's only valuable if it's opposite doing all those other things. So if all you do is learn but the learning is not Lomar Amenas Lasos. 
The learning hasn't made you a more generous, a more kind, a more courteous, a more mannered, a better person, then your Torah learning is corrupt. It's not pure Torah learning. If it's real Torah learning, then it leads you to more If you can't visit the sick and you're not willing to host the guest and you're not willing to give your share of the tzedakah and you're not willing to do chesed and you're not willing to say please and thank you or hold the door, if you're rude, then the Talmud Torah doesn't stand up. So the Rebbe Rebzusha, Talmud Torah has to be keneged kulam. So it's like wearing jewelry with pajamas. It looks silly. You gotta be wearing a formal outfit for the jewelry to shine. If you're wearing jewelry with pajamas, it's silly. Talmud Torah is the, 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 what's it called? The crown jewel. Talmud Torah is the crown jewel of what we do. But keneged kulam. You only put on your jewelry, not if you're wearing pajamas. That's silly. That's ridiculous. But we see on this list is hachnasas, hachnasas orchem. How great is hachnasas orchem? This is what we learn from our parashat Gemara Shabbos Kuf Chav Zayin, source number six. Omar Biochanan, Kedola Achnasas Orchem Bashkamas Besa Medjish. Why is receiving guests as great as getting up early to go learn? Because the mission equates both when it talks about um, that produce can be cleared away because of guests or that reason. And then it goes on and says, Gedol on the bottom, Gedola Achnasas Orchem Me Kabbalas Paneashkina. We know this all, Rashi quotes it in our Pasha. Gedola. Achnasas Orchem is greater than speaking to Hashem because what's happening in our Pasha? Avram's in the middle of a conversation with Hashem and another call comes in. And he has the audacity to say to Hashem, would you mind holding on for a minute? I got to take this call. And Hashem holds on. And the Chazal conclude not, can you believe Avram took that call? But they say, you see, taking that second call is even greater than continuing the conversation with Hashem. What kind of conclusion is that? How does that make sense? What does that even mean? Some ask, the Gerebbe asks, why did you say it's greater? Say it's equal. Why do you say it's greater? Fine. But the Maharal has a magnificent answer in source number seven. I'll tell it to you outside. But the Maharal says the following. He says, what was going on for Avram in that moment, in that conflict? He had a choice. He could either talk to God or he could be like God. And God says, if you have a tension or conflict between talking to me or being like me, I'd rather you be like me. Because that's your mission. That's why you're here. We can continue the conversation later. But the whole reason that we have these conversations is because I'm trying to mold and shape. I'm trying to teach you. I want you to teach the world. So if you have the opportunity to be like me, I'd rather you be like me than even to continue to talk to me. When I describe this, I say it's like as a parent, I would be annoyed at my child if they take a call from a friend. But if they say their sibling is calling and needs help, I'd say, hang up, absolutely hang up with me. I couldn't be happier that your sibling is calling you, and I couldn't be more gratified that you want to help your sibling. So you can either continue to talk to me and ignore and neglect your sibling who needs your help, or you can go help your sibling. Hang up, hang up, go run to take their call. And that's what the Rebona Shalom says. You can be like me, you can go help one of your siblings, a fellow person, go help them. But here's the amazing thing that I never noticed until this year. Here's the amazing thing. You know what the Pasuk says? It says, I'll tell you in one second, as soon as I find it. What happens at the end of hosting these uh, visitors? What does the Pasuk say? Oh, Perak Yudches Pasuk of Beis. These three angels in the guise of men had finished their mission, so they turned to leave. Avraham, Odenu, Omeid, and Avram is still standing before whom? Lefnei Hashem. Hashem didn't hang up. Avram put Hashem on hold. Take the second call. You ever have that? You have to put someone on hold, and you're sure that when you go back, they're going to be gone. And that schnook is still holding on 25 minutes later on the other end of the phone. So, lahavdil, lahavdil, elafavi, avdalos. Why is why is Hashem still holding on? Doesn't he have like world peace or curing cancer or some other thing to do? Why is he still waiting there and holding on for Avram? I never noticed this pasuk till now. The Avraham odenu made Why does the Torah tell us to us? Avram, Hashem. Hashem is visiting Avram. Avram says, "Hold on, just give me a minute. I got these guests. No problem." Hashem says, "Gadol achnasas orchem." More important, to take care of guests. 
And I would thought, therefore Hashem says, call me back later when you have some free time. But the narrative, the section specifically ends by saying, and when Avram was done with those guests, Hashem was still there. Why is it telling us that? And I would submit to you, because that's Hashem's greatest nachas. That's what Hashem is saying. When you went to go take care of your guests, you weren't neglecting me. That was part of your conversation with me. When you went to take care of your guests, you weren't ignoring me or disrespecting me. That was the greatest respect you could have shown me. And therefore, I'm still here. I'm still watching. I was part of that conversation because that's how you show me the greatest respect. Avraham Odenu Hashem. Now it's a magnificent, it's kishmak that that Pasuk is describing. Hashem is still there. So why is Avram doing this? Because we have to realize, even more important than talking to Hashem, is being like Hashem. Now I'm not telling you, therefore, you don't have to come to shul anymore, all you have to do is host guests, you don't have to daven anymore, just be a good person. Of course, we're still bound by Torah and mitzvos, but it means in that moment we have to realize that the whole reason and purpose of these Torah and mitzvos is to be more like it. The Meiri points out, source number eight, says the Meiri, Wow. What a ringing endorsement of Achnas Zorchem. It's unbelievable. Greatest Achnas Zorchem, says the Meiri, because there's nothing bigger. There's nothing greater. This is the biggest mitzvah. This is the biggest mitzvah. Why is it the biggest mitzvah? Why is it such a great mitzvah, such a big mitzvah? Rabbi Salavitch says, you know why? He says, because tzedakah is for the poor. But Achnas Zorchem, a rich man, let me read to you what he writes. The cruelty of Stoma is portrayed in terms of cruelty to guests and strangers. In contrast, Avram's kindness expressed itself particularly in Achnasus Orchem. Why Achnasus Orchem? Achnasus Orchem is often for the poor. A rich man is in no need of hospitality. He can find an inner place to stay. Yet Achnasus Orchem differs from Stoka, or material help to others, in a crucial way. Giving Stoka demonstrates sympathy. Achnasus Orchem demonstrates full human equality. The belief that every being has dignity is just as important as any other. It's much easier to give someone money and send them away than to invite them under your own roof. If I invite him in, it means that no matter what his station in life, I'm treating him with respect, as an equal. Chnas Zorchem is symbolic of our personal relationships. The understanding that all Jews are b'nei malach and princes, regardless of differences in wealth, knowledge, socioeconomic status. And that's why the Torah gives us this picture of Avraham. Because Chnas Zorchem is so great, it, it preserves a person's tremendous dignity. Gemara Chagiga tells us in source number nine, the time of the Beis Hamikdash, we made mistakes. How did we achieve atonement by going to the Beis Hamikdash? But now, without the Beis Hamikdash, how do we repair? Through the table. How does the table repair? Says Rashi. You know where the kapara is today by being hospitable, by being generous, by being gracious. Why is it such a great mitzvah? The Me'iri says that this is Ein Lecha Mitzvah Gedol Because when you're Machnas Oreach, when you share what you have, you realize that it's not for you alone, that you are a steward, that you are an ambassador, that you are simply a guardian of what Hashem has provided for you to share it with other people. It's not for us to selfishly live it alone. So that's why we achieve Kapara. What were the mistakes we made? Why did we make those mistakes? Because with whom were we concerned? With ourselves. With gratifying ourselves, with our own indulgence, our own pleasure. That's what led us astray. It's what led us to the mistakes, the chataim that we did. So how do we achieve kapara? What is the antidote or the repair to satisfying our own pleasure seeking? When we're willing to share what we have with others. To be generous and gracious is that kapara. That's how Rashi translates what it means Achshav Shulchan Shul Adam is Mechaper. Shulchan Aruch Paskins. Hanichnas Labayas Komash Yomar Balabayas Yase. When you come into the house, you got to follow whatever the Balabayas says. What does that mean that you have to follow whatever the Balabayas says? So says the Mishnabura, commenting here. Says the Mishnabura. Whatever the Balabayas tells you, you have to be able to, you have to be able to live. It's through Achnasus Orchem that we fulfill this mandate of, of, um, 
Hachnasus Orchem. So you know what the Shulchan Aruch is saying here? Hachnasus Orchem is not fulfilled by having your friends over. That's being a good friend. That's enjoying good company. When you have the people you know and you enjoy, it's nice. Encourage it. Definitely falls under Vahavtalorecha Kamocha, but that's not Hachnasus Orchem. Hachnasus Orchem is when there's someone who needs a place, someone who's neglected, not thought of, someone who's shut in, someone who's alone, someone who's visiting. Someone who's here taking care of someone who's sick or visiting a parent who maybe is not religious and needs to be part of the religious community. That's Achnas When you extend yourself, when it's uncomfortable, when you don't know who it is, that's when the mitzvah is the greatest. That's when the mitzvah is the greatest. And it's a mitzvah that we run to do, not through others. Rashi, source 12. Yukach mayim. Avram said, shliach. He sent the lad, he sent Yishmael, uh, to go get, uh, to go get uh, some water. So Rashi says, "Hakadosh Baruch Hu shilin the bana of Aidei Shliach, vayar Moshe's yada vayachas asela." So Hakadosh Baruch Hu punished Avram's progeny, since Avram didn't do it himself and he did it through an agent. Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't always interact with us directly; he does it through agency. And in this, Rashi is being critical. Now you can't be critical of Avram; it's the third day after surgery. Cut him some slack. But what it means to say is that it is hachnasas orchem when we sit in our recliner and order our children and our spouse what to do, get the guest a cold drink, walk the guest to the door, do the whatever, and many are inclined to do that. Myself included, sometimes tempted. You say to one of your kids, and, and then we also justify it, no, no, I'm being machanich them. I'm teaching them that you have to walk a guest to the door. And Rosh is telling us such an important lesson. You know what will teach them more? Not to have them walk to the door, but let them see that you got up you just settled into your recliner, but nevertheless, you got up and you walked them out the door a few steps. That's the greater lesson, is not to be mechanach them by telling them, barking orders, you go do it, not ayideh shliach, but the greatest lesson with achnas zorchim is when we show and when we're willing to do it, when we're willing to do it ourselves. I saw a beautiful pshat from Menachem Mendel Meribinov. Chazal say, gedol machnas zorchim, so, yosem mekabalas p'nei ashchina. why they say that? Why'd they say it's greater than Pnei Ashkenaz? Why'd they have to? So of course, they were offering an interpretation on the opening of our parsha. But why'd they say that? So they had a reason they had to say that. Because the Gemara in Sota Daf Yudzayin tells us, Rabbi Kiva says, Ish ve'isha shazachu shechina b'neim. A couple who have shalom bias, which statistically today, if you look at the divorce statistics, you're an anomaly if you have shalom bias. It's a miracle, kakriyas yamsuf. So literally, you are living a miracle if you have peace in your home. You are in the minority, statistically. So those who merit to have peace in their home, and we know that, Ish, you take the Yud, Ish, you take the hay. otherwise the Aleph and Shin. If you have no peace, you have Ish, you have fire in the home. If you have peace, you have Yud and hay. you have Hashem's name, Shechina, Eshora, Beneim. So therefore, said Menachem Mendel, the Gemara Bab Metziah says, that Amr Rabbi Yitzchak, Ishat Sara Ineab Orchem, Im Ken Kasher Adam Machnas Orchem, Atok Beso Alulit Bazeh Mikach Meriva Benovein Ishto, Vedavas Ayachol Legorim Lasilu Kashchinim Beneim. The husband's going to bring home some unexpected guest from shul. The wife's going to say, "Why did you offer this guy to make an offer? We don't have a bed." Achnasas Orchem can lead to strife, can damage Shalom Bayis. Should we host? Should we not host? Who should we host? Your parents, my parents. What's going to be? How long are they staying? How long should we host? What are we offering? How expensive it is? It could lead to strife and it could lead to compromise shalom bias. That's why Chazal had to say, It's even greater than shalom bias. Even greater than greater than shalom bias is hachnasazorchem. That doesn't mean do hachnasazorchem at the expense of shalom bias. It means it shouldn't compromise your shalom bias. That's how great it is. Mishnah Pirk Yava says in the name of Shammai, source number 13, We have to train ourselves to receive everyone with a pleasant disposition, positive demeanor, a smile, be happy and warm and gracious. When are we supposed to do that? When we see them in shul, when we come to work, in the supermarket at the gym, says the Bartanura, if the person comes into your house 
but you look miserable and fabisana and negative and resentful and angry and bitter that you had to make the Shabbos meal for them. If you sit the whole meal talking about how tired you are and how much work it was and how difficult and how expensive it is, says the Bartanura, then it's as if you didn't even give them anything, not even the Bartanura that you gave them. It's as if you didn't even give them anything. And he goes on and he correlates it with the three things that Shammai sang. So when is the Sefer Panam Yafos the most important? A smile. So good to have you. I'm so happy you're here. It was so no big deal. We have the room, making the meal. It was easy. So pleasant to have you. If you host, but you always host with a resentment and a bitterness and a negativity, then it's as if you didn't even host. So all that work is for not. The Kafachayim has such an important insight in Source 15. We're winding down. It says the Kafachayim, so importantly, Kasav B'Sefer HaChasidim, whose Yorot site was yesterday, the Sefer HaChasidim, Im Yavo Oreach L'Beischa, Al Tashalom Yidivrei Torah, Elam Kim Tehidash Yodei L'Hashiv. You know, often at the Shabbos day, you do the Parsha questions with your kids, and then you put an adult guest on the spot about the Parsha question. If you don't know that they know the answer, don't ask it. Here's a good lesson for life. Don't ask questions that you don't know the answer that you're going to get. Very important. Or tisha lo So Sefer Hasidim says, when you have guests, don't put them on the spot. I wrote an article recently before Simchas Torah about the sensitivity of, of those struggling with infertility. People desperate for children or grandchildren. You know, it's amazing. Somebody was here for that yantif, told me that they had a meal at someone else's house. They have children married for several years who don't have a child. And even that week that I wrote that article, their host said to them, New, when is your daughter going to have a baby already? And it broke this person's heart. Broke their heart. New, when are they going to have a baby already? What is the matter with such a person? And the truth is nothing. They just weren't thinking. We have a brain freeze. So the Kafachayim quotes the Sefer Hasidim that one of the most important parts of Hachnasas Orchim is knowing what to say, and even more important, knowing what not to say. Don't ask questions that you don't know the answer to. Don't put people on the spot. Don't embarrass. Don't humiliate. If you don't know about someone's family, or their job, or whatever the case may be. Someone else just told me. I can tell you, unfortunately, way too many of these stories. Someone else just told me, sent me an email just yesterday, also in response to that article. They live in another community in the Northeast and they were with a meal at someone else's home with someone else who was visiting. And the host said to the other visitor, oh, you're here for Yantif, it must be nice to get away from your children. And they said, we don't have children. Could you imagine? Even just talking about it every meal, our children in Einikloch and, and talking with such pride, and that's the whole meal, that's every conversation, that's everything that we're doing. Everything has to be with sensitivity, says the Kafachayim, because for all the tricolored gefilte fish that you made for that meal, and no matter what the basket you left by the bed with all the goodies and snacks, but one insensitive question that broke the heart of your guest, what, what, what was the purpose of the hospitality? And we learn this, says the Kafachayim from Avram Avinu, Rabbi Seyna Zechron Lavracha, Huva Barashi, Vayir Amru, so on and so forth. The Avas Chesed, the Chavetz Chaim goes on and on here. I want to finish with one last source. One last source. A Geval de Gekasha, source 17. It's from a sefer called Pesach Ha'ohel, about Achnasus Orchem, by Rav Moshe Rachamim Shayu. And he asked the following question, I'll tell it to you outside also. Avram is outside. Why is he looking for guests? He says, if the whole purpose of guests is to ensure that when people need something, that they have it provided for them, that's a very beautiful thing. So, let them come to you, and if someone needs, be responsive and provide it. Beautiful. What's the idea that you're outside preemptively and proactively looking for a guest? It makes no sense. <coughs> Listen to what he asks. Avram wanted people who would have that need. He needed people to be lacking so that he could fill it. How does that make sense? If you're kind and compassionate, you want everyone to be taken care of so nobody needs Achnas Zorchem. <laughs> what does it mean that he was outside hoping that someone would have this need so he could fill it? What's the compassion in that? It's a great question. So he answers, and you could read this on your own because we're out of time. He answers, he answers, Avram did hospitality with an agenda. 
It was not simply a chesed. He wasn't looking for people who had a lacking and need so he could fill it. He was using Achnas' Orchem in order to educate, to communicate, in order to recruit, in order to teach, in order to inspire, in order to uplift, in order to elevate. The mechanism, part of the means, the first Shabbos project. How was Avram, how was he promoting monotheism? Hachnasas Orchem. And there's such a powerful lesson because I can tell you that the best way we come to know new members, people who move in, is after you've broken bread, when you have a Shabbos meal. When you enjoy the company of a meal and conversation and common interests and exploring each other's uh, background, and you come to know people, is when you can develop relationships and it's when you can inspire, it's when you can elevate. So the hospitality is not just the hospitality. If you host somebody because they needed to be hosted, but you ran through the meal as quickly as possible, you set the Shabbos clock so it would go off 10 minutes after Kiddush, right? <laughs> you ran through the meal and you talked Lashon Hara and Narashkeit the whole time, and that was all, then that too wasn't Hachnasas Orchem. What he develops is that part of the ideal and the value of Hachnasas Orchem is to ha offer hospitality with an agenda. Not a personal agenda, but a higher holy agenda. And that's why we call this holy hospitality. It's not just hospitality, it's holy hospitality. It's an altogether different type of hospitality, a hospitality of Hachnasas Orchem. Wishing everybody a wonderful week.